Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, glad you have joined us for worship uh, as we continue our series, Align, a church aligned with, with God's will. And we're going to see today that a church that is aligned with God's will uses God's word to make disciple-making disciples. Um, and so I invite you, with that in mind, to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, if you'd like also to turn to Psalms 33, you can do that as well. We'll be looking at 6 through 12 there, Psalms 33, 6 through 12. But our main text this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're looking at verses 14 through 17 this morning. So hopefully you found your place by now. Um, I'm going to read, we'll pray, and then we'll dive into today's message. Beginning in verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together as the church to open your word and, and to learn from it, God. And help us to do that this morning as we continue in our series here, God. And we seek to be a church that is aligned with your will. May we be a church that looks to your word for that. And this morning we'll find out why, Lord, that is the case. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm a researcher, and, and, and any time that I'm going to buy something, it really doesn't matter what it is. It may be, it may be something that's small. It may be something, something that is big. I have to go and research that project. I want to I make sure product. I want to make sure that I get the best bang for my buck, right? Like, I don't want to go and buy something and then find out that there was something else that was better that I could possibly have gotten for a cheaper price or even the same price. And so I do my research. Now, when I lived in Decatur, I lived on the church property there, and, and they supplied me with all of the lawn equipment that I needed in order to cut the grass. It was kind of a win-win for them, right? We had a, a decent amount of property there, and so I would cut my grass, and then they expected me to kind of cut their grass as well on the church property. So I was, I was the mowing team, if you will, there. So they, they supplied me with, with what I needed. Now, there, to be fair, there were other guys who did, who did help me out um, on a regular basis. But, you know, I lived there. And so it was for me to cut the grass. Now, when I moved to, to Red Oak, I had to leave that lawn equipment behind. It was nice lawn equipment that they provided me with, but, but I had to leave that behind because the church owned that equipment, which meant that I was in the market for some lawn equipment. I needed a lawnmower, you know, a, a string trimmer, a hedge trimmer. I needed the, the deal here that, that goes along the side uh, and trims your, trims your sidewalk. You know, I, need, I needed everything, basically. I needed it, it all. And I started researching because I wanted to get the best bang for my buck. Now, I quickly found out there were several alternatives that were open to me. I could get the corded model. I could get the, the gas-powered model. I could get the battery-powered model. 
Now, I didn't want to drag an extension cord all around my yard, and so I quickly ruled that out. I didn't really want to mess with, you know, having to mix gas and do all the things that, that you have to do with that and make sure that it's working when the season starts back up again. And so I, I ruled that out, which meant that I was left with the battery-powered model. And so I began to research, and I found that they had come a long way in the last several years. Now, it was a bit of a gamble, but, but that's what I chose. I chose the battery-powered model. I bought into the Ego brand and after using them all spring all summer I'm I'm certainly pleased I would I would recommend them to you all I don't have to to fool with mixing gas I don't have to worry about cranking up the engine or or anything like that I don't have to to change the spark plugs or the filters or or anything I just I just pop the battery in as long as it's charged got a few of those uh, and then I just go and then when that one runs out I go and grab the other battery out of the garage and pop that one in and so for me that is the right tool for the job. And it's important that you have the right tool for the job that you're doing. And just as you have to have, to have the right tool to keep your yard in shape, you have to have the right tool to make disciple-making disciples. Especially when you consider that, that we are tasked with helping people align themselves with God's will. And so we're all on the same page. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Jesus aligned himself with God's will. And so a disciple is someone who comes after Jesus and aligns themselves with God's will as well. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're trying to, to make disciple-making disciples. We're trying to make people who don't want to be aligned with God's will into people who desire to be aligned with God's will and will live according to God's will just like Jesus did. But again, if we're going to make disciples, we have to have the right tool and we have to use that right tool. And here's where knowing what God's will is primarily associated with is absolutely crucial. You see, if we don't know the primary thrust of God's will, we may end up leading someone to the wrong tool shed and they're going to grab the wrong tool and begin following Jesus in that way. For example, if we believe that God's will is primarily associated with social justice, we may lead other people to align themselves with a particular movement or, or fighting for change. Or if we believe God's will is primarily associated with nationalism, we may lead others to align themselves with a particular political party or revel in a particular political candidate. Or if we believe that God's will is primarily associated with living your best life now, then we may lead other people to align themselves with a prosperity preacher. Or if we believe God's will is primarily associated with love and grace and mercy, we might lead others to align themselves with liberal ideas and liberal theology. You see, knowing the primary thrust of God's will is absolutely crucial if we're going to make disciples. And what is the right tool for making disciples? What tool best aligns us with God's will? Well, look at verse 14. Here's Paul, he's, he's talking to Timothy. And he comes to him in verse 14, or writes to him in verse 14, and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And what does he want him to continue in? Well, verse 15 tells us, And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. 
We will talk more about the sacred writings as we kind of get into the text this morning, but know that the sacred writings represent Scripture. They represent God's Word, which tells us that the right tool for making disciple-making disciples is God's Word. Paul tells Timothy, look, I do not want you to move past these. You have have heard from childhood that God's Word is God's the one that provides us with God's will. It is God's word that provides us with salvation. It is God's word that points us to a savior. And he's saying, look, God's word is teaching you. God's word is is encouraging you. God's word is is strengthening you because he's writing to him with with an air of persecution that that is taking place. And so he's trying to encourage him and strengthen him not to move past that despite the persecution that he's facing, not to move past that because it is God's word alone that provides them with God's will. And so he says, don't move past it. Camp in them. And why is that? Why is the Bible the right tool for making disciples, making disciples who are aligned with God's will? Well, I'm going to give you several reasons this morning. First, The Bible presents the real story of human history. The Bible presents the real story of human history. If you think about it, we all inhabit a story. And I say that because we're all born into history. There are are events that precede our birth. There are events that are happening as we are living. And there are events that are going to happen after we are gone. Which means, believe it or not, we are not the center of the universe. I know that we like to think that, right? Like the whole world revolves around me. Good thing I came on the scene. Good thing I was born. I'm finally here. But that's that's not how it works, right? The world does not revolve around us. Instead, we are a small part of a much grander narrative. And because we inhabit a story, we need a a meta-narrative that helps us make sense of the world in which we live. A meta-narrative is simply just an overarching story, a grand narrative that, that ties everything together. So you can think about it like this, right? I'm sure that you guys have your favorite show that you like to watch. And unless your favorite show is Seinfeld, because Seinfeld's really a show about nothing, right? I mean, they say this as they're, they're going through that. Every show has a grand narrative, an overarching theme that connects every single one of those episodes together. And and each episode, it stands alone, but but it's often carrying that story forward. And I know that you guys have your favorite show, right? This 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 is what keeps you coming back every single week. You don't tune back into that show just because. They leave you hanging and you're like, man, I got to know what's going to happen. Or this day and age, if you've got Netflix or something like that, well, you just click on, click on the next show, right? It's, it's right there. Um, and then maybe if a new season hasn't come out yet, well, then you got to wait for that to take place. But, but you can get access to what's going to happen next. And it's, it's what's going to happen next that keeps you going. That, that is the, the grand narrative. That is the overarching story that is taking place through that show. That's what ties everything together. And the world has an overarching story. The world has a grand narrative that ties the entire world together. And we need to know what is the best story, right? We need a story that tells us, how did we get here? How did things get so messed up in this world? How are things going to be fixed? Where is everything heading? And what is our purpose in this world? 
We need a story that tells us that. But how do we discover that grand narrative? Well, some people will tell you that you don't need to discover that story. Instead, they'll tell you that, that you need to go out and you need to write your own story. And that sounds great because we want to be people who are writing our own story. We think we're the center of the universe again. And, and so we love this. We post it all over Facebook. We have printed note cards. Write your own story. But should we be doing that? Should that be what we're doing? Now, now there, there's a difference between writing your own story and telling your story. Everybody has a story to tell. Again, we're born into history. There are, there are things that happen in our life. There are events that take place in our life. We all have a story to tell. But writing your own story is different than telling the story of your life. Writing your own story puts you at the center of the universe. It makes you the author, which is why many people like that idea. We want to call the shots. We want to author our own story. But here's the thing. We aren't the author and the world wasn't created just for us. Because of that, we need to quit trying to construct our own story. We need to look outside of ourselves to discover the story that we inhabit. And the next place that, that people look besides themselves is maybe they're like, okay, I need to look outside of myself. I'm going to look to my culture. I'm going to look to the culture in which I live. And people often look to the culture, which is your beliefs, your actions, your attitudes, all those things that, that kind of surround you. And they look to the culture to help them make sense of what is happening in this world, what is happening to them, what their purpose in life is going to be, what they should strive for in the future. And culture can answer those questions, but, but the problem is, is that different cultures answer different questions. And we see this at work right now in our culture. In the United States, there are, there are two major competing cultures. You've got your conservative culture and you've got your more liberal left-wing culture and then you've got all kind of things in between. And they all tell a different story about the United States. They all tell a different story about the world in which we inhabit. They all give us different purposes and meaning in life. And you can see this. Turn on CNN, then turn on Fox News. There are two competing narratives right there, right? I mean, you can flip back and forth and look at the same exact news story and they are coming at it from completely different perspectives. And if they're not, we're wondering, man, what is, what is going on with, with the world if you're not getting two competing perspectives from those different news places? And so while culture can provide us with a story, it doesn't provide us with one consistent story. Rather, it provides us with a bunch of conflicting and competing narratives which doesn't bring any sort of unity to anyone. That's why there's not a lot of unity in, in our culture at the moment. There are all these different conflicting narratives and conflicting stories that are competing with one another and are creating conflict and disunity in our country. And, and that's going to be the case because we make up the culture. I know that's self-existent, but culture doesn't exist without people. But you got to think about who we are. We are, we are sinners. Sinners can't see the world rightly because we are blinded by our own sin, which means that we aren't capable of telling an accurate story. 
Not only are we often want to paint ourselves in, in a positive light and our, and our group in a positive light, we, we, we think ourselves better than we really are. And so, so it's always this us against them. It's, it's we've got the truth. We've got the real, real deal over here. If you would just get on our bandwagon and get on our story wagon here, then, then we would be all fine. But we're sinners. And we all think that, that, that we have the right story. And so for those reasons, what needs to happen is we need to not only look outside of ourselves, but we have to look outside of our own culture for the right story. We need someone outside of culture, outside of the world, someone who is not affected by sin to tell us the true story of human history, to tell us how we got here, why the world's so messed up, how things are going to be fixed, where it's all headed, and what our purpose in life is. We need someone outside the world who can honestly answer those questions. And that someone is God. We can look to him because he is the one who is ultimately writing our story. And this is where the text from Psalms comes in. Psalms chapter 33. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. God is the one who is the author, which means that we need to inhabit God's story. A story that began in Genesis chapter 1 with God creating the world and everything in it. One that culminates in Revelation chapter 22 with God recreating this world so that we are living in a perfect world in the way that He originally created and designed for us to live. And so if we want to find ourselves, if we want to have true identity, we must look to the Bible because the Bible provides us with the true story of human history. And the Bible tells us, or the Bible story can be broken down into to four main acts, right? We walked through this, through the sermon series that we did, so I'm not going to belabor the whole point. But, but just to review, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration or recreation. The Bible begins with the creation account. We learned that, that we weren't created by some time plus chance evolutionary process, but God literally spoke us into being. God created us. God fashioned us in His image. We were created by God. But that wasn't enough for Adam and Eve, right? They didn't just want to be created by God. They didn't just want to have the dominion that God gave them. No, they wanted to be big K kings instead of little K kings. And so they rebelled against God and they plunged the world into a state of corruption. That is why sin has entered into this world. That's why everything is so messed up, why everything is so broken. But even though we've rebelled against God, God said, hey, I'm not going to abandon them. God has made a way. Even at, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the exit of the garden, He is providing for them. He is promising that He is going to send a Redeemer. And He, and he shows that as He kills an animal and He provides them with covering to cover their shame. And he makes a promise that he will send the serpent crusher one day who will crush the head of the serpent. 
while also receiving a mortal blow. And we know who this is. We know this to be Jesus. Jesus provides us with redemption by dying the death that we couldn't die, by paying the price for our sins, by absorbing our debt on himself, and God's wrath was poured out on him in our place. And those who believe that, those who believe that story, they can experience salvation. They can experience freedom from their sin and from bondage to that sin and from Satan being their master. They could be transferred from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. And they can begin to live out their purpose in life. And they can have the last part of the story to look forward to, which is restoration. As God restores all things back to the original state so that we can live out our lives as God has designed for us. Glorifying Him. Exercising dominion in, in, in His place. And so this is the true story of, of human history. A story that, that we inhabit. A story that is honest. A story that is centered on Jesus, who is God, who is outside of history, but came into history as a man so that he might die in our place, so that we might understand this story and be able to experience redemption from corruption in God's wrath. Which leads to the second reason the Bible is the right tool for making disciples, making disciples who are aligned with God's will. The Bible not only presents the real story of human history, but the Bible is a unified story that is centered on Jesus. If you've ever wondered what, what ties the Bible together, well, it is Jesus. He is the one whom it, it all points to. Jesus is the center of everything, not us. 2 Timothy three fourteen and 15, again, Paul speaking to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When Paul uses the term here, the sacred writings, Paul is referring to Scripture. But what Scripture did Paul have? Paul had the Old Testament. What we refer to as the Old Testament, Paul referred to them as the sacred writings, as the Scriptures. Paul had the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't created. Paul was literally pinning the, the, old, the New Testament as he's writing this letter here to Timothy. And it's being collected and things like that. But but the Old Testament is what he had. And the Old Testament, here he reminds Timothy, points to salvation in Christ. Points to Jesus as the one who is the Savior. Which means that the Old Testament is not just a bunch of stories that, that, we, that we use to tell our kids at bedtime or, or we teach here at church to our kids to entertain them on Sunday. It's not just a story about slaying giants and people being you know, rescued from a, a lion's den. Nor is it there just to provide us with, with moral instruction or, or to bore us if we want to say that. And the New Testament is where we get all the good stuff. No, that's not the case at all. The Old Testament is a unified collection of books that form one story that point us to Jesus. 
And it's important that we understand that because that tells us something critical about the Bible. It tells us the Bible is not a self-help book. The Bible is not a science book. The Bible is not a, a comprehensive history book. The Bible is not going to answer all of the questions that we have. In fact, the Bible may raise more questions as you read through it than you had before you came to it. The Bible isn't any of those things. Instead, the Bible is God's special revelation of himself that exists as a unified collection of books that form one story whose purpose is to point us to Jesus so that we can align ourselves with God's will and glorify and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of the Bible. It teaches us God's will as it points us to Jesus so that we might be a people that glorifies him. And so if we want to learn who we are, we don't look to ourselves, we don't look to our culture. Instead, we look to God's word. It tells us how we got here. It tells us what's wrong with the world. It tells us how things are being fixed. It tells us where things are headed. It provides us with our true purpose and meaning in life. Next, the Bible is the right tool for making disciples, making disciples who are aligned with God's will because the Bible is God's word to us. Continuing in 2 Timothy, we learn in verse 16 that all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, Paul is not teaching us that God literally wrote every piece of scripture with his hands and just, and just handed it to us, that it just came out of heaven as a book. No, no, God uses men to write scripture. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and other books were written by other men. And so we know that God didn't just hand us this completed book right out of heaven. Men wrote the Bible. But just because men wrote the Bible doesn't mean that it can't be God's word. Ryan read this during our scripture reading time. Second, Second Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us here that the Bible is God's word because the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, was active in this writing process. He worked alongside of and through the writers of the text, overseeing in a mysterious way what they wrote. And that's how we got the Bible, which is written by man, but is God's word to us. And because the Bible is God's word to us, we must use the Bible in the disciple-making process, not something else. Other books, man, they are super helpful. I've got an entire shelf of them there in my office. But it is God's word that must be our primary text. It's God's word that we must run to over and over again. The text must always be our primary source. It must always be our main focus. It must be what we come, to, come back to time and time again. Amen. Because it is where God's will is found. And that's because it's God's word to us. The Bible aligns us with God's will teaching us how to live in God's ongoing story. Paul continues in verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy 3 when he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice that, that Paul says, all Scripture. He doesn't say some Scripture. The parts of Scripture that you align with, man, those are the ones that are there for you. No. All Scripture. All Scripture is profitable for us. 
All Scripture is what, what we should run to, not, not picking and choosing the texts that we like, that make us comfortable, right? that, that match our tradition. Instead, we must allow the entire Bible to influence how we live. And that's absolutely crucial if we're going to be a church that is aligned with God's will. We can't pick and choose which text we are going to follow and when we're going to follow it. That's not how we use God's word. We don't just adhere to it when it's convenient or comfortable for us or, or matches our tradition, right? We must submit to God's word all the time. We must allow it to rule over us. We must allow it to direct us, to direct our life, and to direct our ministry. That's because God's Word is capable and designed to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. And so first we see that, that God's Word teaches us and by this, Paul means that, that the Bible is, is able to, to teach us about God. It's able to teach us about His plan. It's able to teach us about His Savior as well as it, it teaches us about ourselves, our church, our family, and the world in which we live. The Bible teaches us all of those things and more, which is why we must allow the Bible to provide us with the story instead of writing our own story or looking to culture, as well as this is why the Bible must be the primary text that we use week in and week out in the disciple-making ministries of the church. It is what teaches us how to align ourselves with God's Word and with God's will, excuse me. Along with, with teaching us, it also reproves us. It informs us and, and confronts us when, when we have done, taught, or thought something contrary to God's will. Here's what one commentator says, Scripture can show sinners their failures, clarify their mistakes, and lead them to a new sense of peace and wholeness. Now you see what, what he's saying here. It, it, is, it is something for sinners. And, and just so you know, we are, we are all sinners. Whether we believe in Jesus as our, our Lord and Savior or not, we are, we are all sinners. All men are sinners, which means that all men need to be reproved. We all need to be confronted with God's Word. We need, and we need others who are willing to come and to confront us. We need others who are willing to come with God's Word open and in hand and say, brother, sister, this is what I see you doing in your life. And this is what God's Word says about that. Know that what you're doing is not right. It is not, it is not according to God's Word. That is the loving thing for us to do to hold one another accountable, to reprove one another in love with God's Word. Not our own opinions, not what we think about that person, but what God's Word says about what they are doing and how they are living. And that last idea points to the fact that Scripture also corrects us. The Bible doesn't just point out how or, or when we have transgressed God's will. It goes a step further, it directing us to a particular behavior and thinking or teaching that is in line with God's will. Correction, and this is what Paul is saying here, correction means that sometimes you do not think the way that God wants you to think. Sometimes you personally or the church doesn't act in the way that God's Word says that we should act. And that's not just my opinion. That's what God's Word says. By the very means that Scripture must correct us means that there are times 
when we aren't living up to the standard of God's will and God's word. We've got to be open to go into God's word and saying, God, correct us. Change us. Show us your standard. Show us where we, we fall short of that standard so that we might be aligned with your will and aligned in a way that you want us to be as a church. You see, if we are living or, or how we think is contrary to God's word, we don't bend God's word to fit our life or our tradition. Instead, we change what we are doing or how we are thinking to match God's word. That's how it works. And that's what it means for us to be corrected. And again, we need other people. We need other people to help us in this effort because remember, we are sinners who like to think that we're at the center of everything and like to think that we're perfect and everybody else just needs to get on board with us. But God's Word tells us something different. And it's God's Word that must provide the correction. And along with Scripture, teaching, reproving, and correcting us, it lastly trains us in righteousness. And this phrase means that that Scripture provides us with a system of teaching and discipline that develops Christian character so that over time we grow to be more like Christ, living according to God's will for our lives. And the result of all this teaching and reproving, correcting, and training is that we are made complete or mature and we are equipped for every good work. In other words, as we immerse ourselves in the Bible, as we allow it to have influence over us, we will be taught how to be aligned with God's will. And when we fail, we're going to be confronted. We're going to be corrected. And when we enter into conversations with others, we will then be able to point them to the hope that is found in Jesus because God's word is changing us and shaping us. And it is, it is equipping us for every good work, for the good work of making disciple-making disciples. This is where we need to go if we're going to be a church that does that. If we want to be a church that, that does God's work, we must allow God's word to teach us, reprove us, correct us, and to train us so that we are prepared for the work that he has for us. Which means that, that we must be a church that studies and submits ourselves to God's word. Where God's word differs from the way in which we think or the way that we have done things for 30 or 50 or, or 60 years, we must be willing to say, you know what? Man, I see that there's something that I wasn't doing right because God's word is pointing that out to me. And so we must be willing to submit ourselves to the text, living underneath the text, not beside the text, not over the text, not allowing our tradition to be equal with the text, but we must be people of the book and we must do what the book says even if what the book says makes us uncomfortable, even if it is difficult, even if it is hard. If we don't, if we just dig our heels in, if we refuse, then we're not going to see revitalization. We're not going to see revival. We aren't going to be a church that is aligned with God's will. We aren't going to be a church that makes disciple-making disciples because the only way that you can do that is aligning yourself with God's will. You see, church, if we are going to make disciples who are aligned with God's will, we must align ourselves with God's will by looking to God's word alone. Scripture alone, solo scriptura. This is the battle cry of the Reformation. 
And it must be our battle cry as well if we're going to see reformation. Sola Scriptura. Not tradition plus Scripture, but sola Scriptura. Not our will plus Scripture, but sola Scriptura. That has to be our battle cry as well. That has to be what we run to as well. God's Word is the right tool for the job. And so let's pick it up in every area of our lives, in every area of our church. That's how we can respond this morning. All right, by, by submitting ourselves to God's Word so that we are aligned with God's will so that we will be a church that makes disciple-making disciples. And if you're just taking that first step this morning, know that, that you can't make disciples if you are not a disciple yourself. But you can be a disciple. Jesus has come. Jesus has, has followed the Father's will to the cross. And He has paid the price for your sins so that you might experience salvation. So that you might experience release from God's wrath, release from the bondage of sin, release from Satan being your master, so that you might be able to follow God and His will that is found in His Word. And so this morning, we must submit ourselves to God's will. And for a believer, that means that, that we submit ourselves to what God's Word says and we commit to doing that all the time, every day, every week. For not a believer, it means that, that we turn and we see Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and we profess Him as Lord and Savior this morning. See, today is the day of, of salvation. Today is the day for all of us to turn and to look to Jesus and to rest in Him and to turn to God's Word and submit our lives to His will. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you this morning thankful for your word, that it provides us with your will, God. It teaches us how we are to live, how we are to do ministry, how we are to lead our families. Lord, help us to be a church. Help us to be a people that looks to your word and decides that we are going to do what your word has to say, no matter what. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.